Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Armin Vardanyan. Hi, everyone. I'm always worried I'm saying your name wrong. <laughs> no, you gradually, Subra- you gradually go towards saying it right, so. Yeah. Subrat Mishra. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Got a new thing on Top End Devs. You go to topendevs.com slash workshops. You can see what the upcoming workshops are. Uh, my goal is to do one every week for the rest of the year. They're free to attend live. And then if you want the recordings, you have to get a membership. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that is Sam Bazu. Sam, do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are, why you're famous, stuff like that. Sure. Well, I am infamous more than famous, but uh, <laughs> hey, everyone. And uh, yeah, no, thanks for inviting me here. Like Charles said, I'm, I'm Sam. I work as uh, a developer advocate at Kroger Software. I'm, a, I'm an old man. Uh, I've been doing dev for you know 20 plus years. And, uh, you know, I come from mostly uh, maybe a native background with lots of, you know, desktop and mobile stuff. And I do just enough, you know, web stuff, JavaScript to be dangerous. Uh, I think we're here and there a little bit, but um, just glad to be here. Very cool. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Well, we've had other folks from Progress on before to talk about native script or to talk about Kendo UI. One of our hosts on the React podcast used to be a developer advocate at Progress. So anyway, it's, it's always fun to get you folks on and see what's going on. I have a number of other friends that have worked at Progress over the years. We brought you on to talk about Angular on desktops, which is this article that you wrote. It's on the Telerik blog. For those that aren't familiar, Progress purchased Telerik a number of years ago. And so I don't hear people talk about Telerik anymore. But anyway, let's just... uh, No, I I was going to say, like, it it was more uh, of an acquisition back in, like, 2015. And, um, you know, we have grown. It's a big public company now. So the Telerik side of the product uh, family, that's still there. That's mostly for .NET developers. But you mentioned right. Kendi UI. You know, to me, like the way modern web has evolved, and we have kind of seen our UI suite, our front-end UI suite kind of start with playing jQuery and then having to rediscover ourselves uh, for Angular, React, and Vue, and all the things. So it's it's been a fun ride. Awesome. Well, let's talk about Angular on desktop for a minute. So in your article, you talked about a few options, some of which I'm familiar with and some I'm not. One of them was a PWA, and I think we've covered PWAs in different ways on this show. Another one was Electron, which I don't think we've covered as much as maybe we ought to. And then the last one was .NET MAUI, which is something that I'd never heard of before. So 
I'm just going to start with PWAs and then we can kind of work through the options. I, I guess I don't really think of PWAs as a desktop option, but it kind of is, right? It can be, yeah. And, and this whole desire, towards... you know, to see... Uh, sorry, Surat, wait, you were saying something? No, I'm saying it is going towards a replacement of my desktop option. I wouldn't you count know, on that. <laughs> it's an option, yeah. You know, the desire to see, you know, web stuff on native, you know, desktop or mobile, this is nothing new. So we have had a few options uh, over the years. And if you think about like some of the apps we use every day, you know, like Slack and Figma and Teams, like those are mobile apps are essentially web apps running on desktop, right? VS Code, that, that's entirely web technology. So this desire is nothing new and it's good to have, you know, a few choices. Yeah. So. Charles, you wanted to start with PWAs. I think that's kind of maybe the lowest hanging fruit. It's the easiest and maybe the cheapest thing to do. Like you have a web app that works fine on browsers. You throw in a few things. You throw in a manifest file that, you know, tells the app, like, here's how somebody can pin me on their home screen or on their taskbar, right? And that's just like step one. And then you have, uh, you can add on to it. You can have any number of service workers, which are essentially small JavaScript files that do stuff. Maybe they fetch data, maybe they do push notifications, maybe they do some caching. So you incrementally start adding up uh, to make your website a better and better citizen on, you know, native form factors like, you know, mm-hmm. desktop or mobile. And I mean, there is, you're not done uh, with it at any point. You can just always keep on building. But if you do a decent enough job, you can kind of pass with, you know, having your apps run on desktop. It's uh, it's nothing magical. It's just essentially takes away the browser Chrome and you're just running it inside of a window. That's essentially what it is. But you are, you know, you, you do have access to do things that you maybe wouldn't consider doing things on, on the web. So it's an option. Yeah, absolutely. So... I'm I'm kind of curious because part of me is still just struggling with the idea of PWAs as a desktop app. And I, I get that it's not that different from an Electron app, but I don't know. The Electron it, it apps are designed to actually run on the desktop per se, right. maybe with or without a backend server that it has to talk to. Whereas the PWAs tend to be more, hey, if you don't have internet, you don't have an app. Yes, pretty much. Well, if you are careful a little bit in your offline support you can make a little bit but for the most part you're right and it's not fair to compare like a pwa to an electron which is a little bit more heavy-handed it gives you a little bit more out of the box like if you wanted to call a native api on mac or windows you can Mm -hmm. from from electron which you just cannot from a pwa pwa is just literally a web app running uh, inside of a window on your desktop yeah, but to be fair, a lot of the capabilities that you do have from Electron, yeah, they come from having a node process that it talks to. But the a lot of them come from it effectively giving you a pretty API over PWA stuff. So anyway. You know, as developers, it's you know good to have choices, right? Maybe if you have always played in the browser and if you are you know finding your enterprise workflow having a need for desktop, maybe... These are things for you to consider. Like, can I do away or can I just make do with the PWA to get mm-hmm. started? And then if you feel the need for a little bit more integration, maybe you bring in Electron. Yep. Yeah, I think it will be pretty good for the newer uh, newer side who, uh, who don't want to develop the native app. They will just go ahead and put all the things like post notification, background sync and all the things. And once 
the the idea or the site got validated got more user they can invest money on time on the developing native things yeah and i think the good thing here is uh, tooling can actually help uh, there's a fair bit of tooling so microsoft had started an open source uh, project called uh, pwa builder which I think they have since kind of let go and the community drives it. But if you have like any website, you can just go to PWA Builder and say, can you look into like, a, if it's a public URL, can you look into my web app and see what am I missing? And it's going to tell you, hey, you don't have a manifest file, you don't have icons, you don't have service workers. And it just kind of gets you started. I think uh, Chrome has, has a thing called Lighthouse, which Lighthouse. also helps, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with PWA. So the tooling is there if that's the first thing you want to do. Like, you know, Subrat said, maybe get your users warmed up to the idea. And then once you start getting more traction, maybe you do uh, the other stuff. I think also now also we have like, for, I know about the APK. We can create an APK from PWA. I don't know about the iOS and about Mac, but we can create an APK from PWA application. So it not feel like it also PWA. Just go to the App Store, download and block. You can bundle your PWAs into an APK. Yeah. And it's not just Android. And so Apple maybe drags their feet a little bit because, you know, the, mm-hmm. this whole web and cross-platform strategy, unless it's an app, it kind of goes against their monetization model. But if you look at the, the Windows Store, there are a good number of apps that are PWAs mm-hmm. and, and they're quite welcome on the stores. Interesting. I'll have to check that out too, of course. I'm not really much of a Windows person. I'm kind of interested though in, yeah, you mentioned cross-platform, right? So you've got these two options that we've been talking about and then .NET MAUI. Why don't we talk about MAUI for a minute? And well, maybe we should go a little more in depth on Electron and then do MAUI. And then we can talk about, okay, now how much of this can I do all at once? And what are the trade-offs of being cross-platform versus, you know, just going all in on one or the other? Yeah. Maybe let's spend a little time on Electron, like you said. Yeah. Like I am, I am much more in depth with Dr. Maui because that's what I, you know, live and breathe these days from a product standpoint and what I do with the community. Uh, right. So Electron, if we have to, you know, talk about that briefly, the first thing I would say, it's battle tested. It's been around for a long time and, you know, stuff works. You know, you look at you know, Visual Studio Code, you look at, you know, Teams or Slack. There's just so many apps that we use that are web apps that are just brought in with an Electron shell. So again, Electron is nothing new, and it's a way for you to bundle up your you know web assets, your HTML, JavaScript, CSS, into a package and put it on the stores or make it run on desktop, right? So there are two things Electron kind of does out of the box. One is, like you mentioned, Charles, it gives you that Node.js one time. So you do need Node to, you know, bootstrap and give you access to some of those, um, you know, APIs. But also it ships with with a version of Chromium, which is essentially the browser, you know, engine that's powering Chrome and, you know, Microsoft Edge. Um, so I think as a developer, you don't have to worry about, you know, the inconsistencies. You just have like a, you know, stable canvas to, you know, paint your app on. Once you do get those two things out of the box, everything else is pretty much web stuff. So you lay down your, you know, UI just the way you would do for a web app and your routing, your data binding, everything is just exactly how you do it. And it doesn't care what you are using. So you could use, you know, plain jQuery or Angular or React or Vue. It just does not care. As long as it's a web app that can be put inside of a shell, that's what Electron does. Right. 
Yeah, Electron, like I, I think in my previous to previous company, we have used Electron and we have combined one 3D object movement with Xbox uh, controller. So it was seamless, mm. like uh, controlling, it would have a, a web app, it may, don't know, may be difficult to integrate, but I think as you had able to access the Windows uh, APIs, so it was pretty easy to integrate. Yeah, yeah, Electron is actually really good with their, you know, documentation, like how do you get started? They give, they give you like mm-hmm. all the right, you know, tools to transform and, you know, create a browser window. And then that's the shell within which you show your app. And uh, they give you those like deep integrations if you're looking for tinkering with any processes that are outside of just the web uh, sandbox, you do have access to that. So it, it is very, very good. But I think uh, where we may want to be just a tad careful with Electron is, and again, they, they get dinged on this sometimes, and it's not fair sometimes because it also, like, it's our responsibility as developers as well. It's uh, it's your memory footprint. It's, it's how big your apps mm-hmm. are because it is shipping with those two things. Even like a Hello World app is a few, you know, megabytes because mm-hmm. it's giving you that runtime and that canvas. And depending on the type of app that you are building, you may want to be a little careful with how you do things. And I'll give you an example. We have an enterprise customer who uh, was considering Electron and it's like multi-window app, right? So it's a desktop application that they're trying to build and they want to spawn off like different windows that are all like dockable. And they want to keep these windows open on, you know, separate monitors, like, you know, maybe in a, in a dashboard type layout. And they want to keep that running all day long, which is fine. But uh, you need to understand that every uh, new window, every new browser that you spawn off, that's another Chrome process, right? So eventually you, you're, the memory footprint is going to keep getting larger. So uh, the apps that work really well, that are Electron apps, are the ones who kind of manage that footprint really well. Like VS Code, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, quite amazed with the engineering because you, it's not quite like Visual Studio on Windows or Mac. It, it does have extensions, but even with all of the extensions that you can maybe add on to VS Code, it is still a fairly, memory footprint-wise, it's fairly small and it can run all day. So again, if developers are careful in doing the right things with Electron, it absolutely works. Yeah, I remember Slack had this problem for a while. Like the for every Slack server you were connected to, it had its own process and it would tend to bloat memory. And they've solved a lot of that, but yeah, it still happens sometimes. Yeah. I have a limited experience with Electron, but I was curious about like a year or two ago. So I tried to... I tried to build something with Electron and Angular. So what question I uh, was always interested in was like, if I have an existing Angular application, which is running on web and something, how easy it is to port it into Electron? What what do I need to change? If it's like a large application that does, love, does lots of stuff with on the web, now I kind of want it on Electron or maybe also desktop version. Is it is it relatively easy and uh, what problems would I face? Well, the classic answer is it, it, it depends a little bit, but like on yeah. paper, <laughs> of course, it, it, it shouldn't be so bad because, and again, Electron has good documentation. So they have a NPM package. You, no matter what type of app you have, and it, it's a web app, so you don't have any native dependencies out of the, you know, out of the box. So you just get the Electron, uh, the latest NPM bundle, and then um, you add essentially one JavaScript file to say, I want essentially my window to be 
the place where the app runs. So essentially, you're going to spawn off wherever the index HTML or localhost is running, and you give it a window within which it's going to show the whole thing. So you're stopping the normal Angular process of you know going to the browser, and you're just essentially rendering the same thing inside of a shell. So it's it's not very difficult. Like once you have you know one JavaScript file, you just make references to it in your you know package.json. And you're you're up and running. You're you're essentially kind of scripting it so that when you are starting up, instead of doing an ng build and firing it off to your browser, you're saying no, no. Um, let Electron come in, create that little window, and then just render everything inside of that as your web browser. So, you know, on paper, if you have any type of web app, it should not be so difficult to make it run on uh, an Electron shell. I see. Another another thing that concerns me, for example, if I really want to like keep one stack for a desktop application and a, and a web application, but I also want to access some native functionality in the case that is a desktop app. Like, for example, I want to write something into the file system or maybe whatever. Is there a kind of a way that I can structure the Angular application, maybe with the monorepo or some sort of, uh, I don't know, scripting or something that would help me to to have a bundle that is like, yeah, this is the same application, it works the same way. But in the desktop, the Electron version, it also has this feature, so you can do something with native functionality. And on the web, it's just a web app, but, but they are the same from the source code-wise. Uh, is there a something can be done with that yeah and like if you're talking about doing specific things on specific you know desktop platforms like you want to do something specific on windows or you want to have something specific for desktop overall and then something different for web uh, i think it's just like so something like for example like i have a button that can write something to the file system i want it to be there if it's the desktop version so i can click and save something right. but on the web version I don't have it, but the source code, like, I don't want to, like, copy-paste the source code, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Now, yeah, this gets a little tricky, and, I mean, unfortunately, there is no, you know, easy way out. At some point, you are, you know, touching code that is common, right, between web and desktop. So, an Electron will give you programmatic uh, access to understand where you're running. So uh, I think it can also tell you like which exact platform that you're running on. Uh, and eventually you end up having some conditional logic, right? So it, it is a common JavaScript file. If you can lazy load some files that are only for desktop and do specific things knowing where you're running, then that that's something you can do. But anytime you're touching any JavaScript file that is meant to be both for web and desktop, then you end up having to write conditional logic like if I'm on the web, do this versus mm-hmm. you know the other stuff. And I mean we're we going to talk about .NET Maui here as well. Like it's the same problem, right? The moment you want to run your apps cross platform, at some point you do have to write a little bit of conditional logic to cater to you know individual platforms. Oh come on, you don't just write it once and then have it run everywhere automatically. <laughs> Oh, uh, the utopia. I have people tell me this all the time. No, you just write it once. It works everywhere. <laughs> Magic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, anytime we developers hear that, we, we are suspect because uh, we try to do that and it's like write once and like suck everywhere, which is not, not a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's really interesting just to see. I mean, if you're down to basic functionality, you can sometimes get away with some of that. But 
Yeah, definitely the case. Let's talk about Maui for a minute, and then we can kind of circle back, because I kind of want to see how this plays into what Armin asked as far as, yeah, you know, if I have an Angular app, you know, yeah, how easy is it to push it to Maui? But let's talk about what it is first, because I'm much less familiar with this. Yeah. All right. So this kind of deals with who are you as a developer? Like, what kind of code do you want to write? So if you are a JavaScript developer, then .NET MAUI may not have a lot of lure for you. But .NET MAUI has a lot of lure if you're a .NET developer, because that's kind of what we want to write. So if we go back a few years, and if I show my age, the desire to get, you know, .NET running on, you know, all the platforms is also nothing new. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, this last... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this last, no, not last February, it's this February, .NET actually celebrated 20 years. So they started way back in 2002. And from the get-go, there were communities who wanted to take .NET outside of just Windows, right? So there were attempts to, you know, and .NET was not open source from the get-go. So they have to kind of do some disassembling and, you know, look at, uh, you know, intermediate code and figure out how .NET Mm -hmm. was doing stuff. And you mentioned Mono. That's kind of where it started. So they took all of the APIs and made it run on Linux. That was Mono. And then they had it working on iOS or Android, which was Mono Touch or Mono iOS. Mm -hmm. And uh, that family of that team essentially evolved over time. They changed a few hands, but eventually they formed a company called Xamarin, which was for .NET developers to write cross-platform apps Mm -hmm. using .NET and C-sharp or F-sharp. So essentially, you are getting a nice abstraction. You are staying within the comforts of, you know, writing C-sharp or .NET technologies and maybe Visual Studio. And at runtime, they would essentially compile your apps from higher level languages into, you know, native bits like ARM bits or, you know, uh, for Android APK or .app. Um, So completely native uh, app packages, but essentially they're giving you an abstraction. So you get to write C-sharp which is like a shared library that's shared across all the different platforms. The business logic part of it wasn't hard, but the difficult part was UI because, you know, iOS, Android, Windows, they're very different stacks. So essentially, you're building up an abstraction to say, let me write some XML, which is essentially, we write a XAML, which is, uh, you know, a visual tree. It's a lightweight markup language. Um, based on who you ask, it's not as lightweight. It, it has some nice tools, uh, but essentially, you just, yeah. Uh, again, I, I show my age anytime I talk about XAML. And, you know, there are a lot of folks who don't like it, and that's totally fine. You don't have to do it. So you essentially write a visual tree, and in your visual tree, whenever you're saying "give me a button" or "give me a drop down" or a list view, it turns around and renders the native button, native list view on mm-hmm. iOS, Android, and Windows. So that was the whole promise of Xamarin, and it's still, you know, the present reality. That's production uh, right now, but there are some pain points. Uh, the moment you start doing, you know, professional cross-platform development with Xamarin, you, you know, hit those pain points uh, fairly easily. Every project that you, or every platform that you target ends up being a separate project, and then you have to manage dependencies. Builds are more difficult because you are now doing some stuff that is shared and some stuff that is native. So you mm-hmm. always have to be careful. And just overall, like, things are, were not pretty. So Microsoft had acquired, you know, Xamarin uh, back in 2016. So yeah, I was, I was a build when they announced that. They acquired yeah. Xamarin and yeah. incorporated Mono to become .NET Core. 
and open source the whole stack and yeah. uh, Xamarin Builder thingy became Visual Studio for Mac and yeah anyway yeah okay so you you uh, you have some history uh, here so yeah so 2016 is when that had happened because there were there were talks of the Xamarin acquisition for some mm-hmm. time and Xamarin uh, Mono has been open source but Xamarin uses Mono under the covers right um, so uh, to to Charles's point they have been on a journey trying to, uh, you know, get the best pieces of Mono back into .NET and make it all one unified runtime. They were not quite done with it in the last year, and they are still not entirely done with it, but for the most part, they are. So Mm -hmm. if you look at the latest .NET, uh, so .NET started with .NET Framework, which is Windows-specific, and then they had .NET Core, which was, you know, separated from Windows. It was modular, it was cross-platform, and then Mm -hmm. eventually they combined the best parts of Mono and .NET Core into a single runtime. And that latest runtime right now is called .NET 6. And there are no, like, multiple .NETs. It's just one runtime. And based on the type of app that you're writing, uh, is it for mobile? Is it for web? Is it for IoT? Uh, they give you the right runtime and they do some tree shaking to only give your app like what it needs and, and no more. Uh, so that's the present reality. We are on .NET 6. And on the Xamarin story, uh, <laughs> to Charles's point, they had their own editor called Xamarin Studio, which essentially became VS for Mac because uh, everything has to be Visual Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that actually is going through another iteration right now. They are trying yep. to completely rewrite it uh, for Mac. And that's in preview. It should come out sometime this year. So they're trying to, you know, uh, make the developer story better. And one big jump in that regard is from Xamarin to .NET MAUI. Now, when we say MAUI, they, they like it to be always caps on because uh, it actually stands for Multi-Platform App UI. They conveniently dropped the P because like Empow sounds not, not as nice as Maui, which is an actual uh, place in, in Hawaii. So they, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Sorry. Sorry. So it's the same Maui. Yes. Yes. The same Maui. There, there have been, uh, you know, a lot of talks of, you know, maybe launching dot and Maui from a conference in Maui itself, but. You know, with the pandemic and everything, it's a little bit more difficult, maybe. So, uh, yeah, that is the map we were talking about. They fought off uh, some, you know, uh, beasts to get all the right namespaces and you know, the product uh, names and the handles. But uh, .NET Maui is uh, still in preview. So they're trying to fix all the things that Xamarin Forms developers have complained about. And .NET Maui was something they started back in 2020. And it's still in preview. It's supposed to come out sometime middle of this year. And uh, they are trying to, you know, broaden exactly what .NET cross-platform dev looks like, uh, because with Xamarin, you mostly targeted iOS or Android. You could do a little bit of desktop, but it was not officially supported. It was community, you know, uh, driven. So a lot of enterprises did not have the confidence. So they're trying to fix it out of the box. So .NET MAUI gives you a single code base. You know, again, that's the promise. Single code base from which you're going to power apps for iOS, Android, Windows, and Mac. Now, that's kind of what they're starting with. Eventually, they might have more. Uh, the community has already stepped up and added like Linux support. Yeah, you know, anytime you have a Samsung device, like a fridge or a TV, it runs a different uh, OS called Tizen. Unless it's running Android, it's running Tizen, which is uh, Samsung's thing. And .NET Maui runs on Tizen as well. So like I could you know, bundle up and run my apps on my TV or my fridge and completely break down my family. But I, I could if I wanted to. So .NET MAUI 
starts out with, uh, you know, the big four, iOS, Android, Windows, and Mac. So you got mobile and desktop uh, mm-hmm. together now. And it's in preview. The tooling is catching up, but the promise is there. But there are also some, you know, challenges. They have tried to cater to some of the pain points. Like everything is truly a single project. You don't have to manage like NuGet dependencies across multiple projects. Builds are smarter. It's multi-targeted. So from a single code base, you could say, give me an iOS build or give me an Android build. And it goes through and does all the needful. Uh, they, in fact, also share, uh, you know, fonts or resources like, you know, images. They're smart because, you know, this is a pain for, you know, mobile, native mobile dev. The moment you have to, you know, target all types of Android and Windows or iOS devices, your little icons and your splash screens, everything takes work. So they're trying to help a little bit. They will resize a few things accordingly to kind of get you going a little bit and then try to share as much of code as you can. So that's the promise of uh, of Dot and Maui. And I can I can talk more, but like what questions might you have? Well, I can attest to the pain you were talking about at, at the last, having written a few uh, React Native apps, trying to get it all to play nice everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's not not fun because it's very uh, you know different platforms we're here yeah. to. The thing that .NET Maui kind of opens up that is blessing and a curse in the same vein is now we have you know apps running on mobile and desktop, which are you know widely different form factors. So uh, your apps need to be more responsive. You need mm-hmm. to you know share things better. Um, so I should actually talk about like how it's doing that. So iOS and Android are kind of given because that's kind of what Xamarin Forms had done. So they know how to take your C-sharp and your abstracted UI and render native UI for iOS or Android. Windows and Mac are new. So Windows, if you wanted to do a straight up Windows desktop development, you know, over the last 20 years, we have invented, you know, a dozen ways of doing so. Sometimes frustratingly, because there's a lot of choice. You have WinForms, you have WPF, you have Universal Windows Platform, you have Win UI, there's just like a lot of different things. And again, like these are just the native stuff. You can obviously do Electron and other things for web. But for Windows, hardcore Windows developer, the latest UI stack is called Win UI, which is kind of fluent inspired and it's for all types of desktop Windows apps, also for Windows store apps. So .NET Maui is actually rendering all of its UI. Uh, through WinUI. So it's not, again, rediscovering the wheel. That's how it reaches Windows. Mac is a bit of a problem. They started down one route and then they quickly backtracked because something else came up which was actually nicer. So Apple has uh, kind of a similar problem where everybody wants to build for iOS because that's the app store that's the most popular. (laughs) The Mac desktop app store is kind of, you know, a niche area. Not a lot of people like build hardcore native Mac desktop applications. So there has been a desire to make your iPad apps, like especially if you look at like an iPad Pro, it's a big surface mm-hmm. area. Why can't we run that on the Mac desktop, right? So Apple's solution to that, starting from what was the one before Mac OS Monterey, like the last sense. OS. Yeah, so they had started doing uh, this thing called the Mac Catalyst, right? So essentially, you're looking at two different UI stacks. For iOS, you're looking at uh, UIKit. For Mac, you're looking at AppKit. So, you know, different UI stacks, but they can actually make that bridge and the transition over, give you a bigger real estate, and then give you some Mac desktop APIs to... You're making it sound way more seamless than it was. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked to a number of people that were trying to make it work, and... (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there, there are some glitches. It's, it's the same yeah. problem. Like anytime we are trying to do cross-platform things, we are crossing bridges that we probably should not. Right. But this is the Apple-approved way of bringing your iPad apps to mm-hmm. the Mac. And that's exactly what .NET Maui is using. They they tried doing something of their own and they realized that Apple is doing it anyways. So for Mac support, you're essentially running your iOS apps just on a Mac through that Mac Catalyst bridge. Right. And maybe getting a few APIs along the way. All right. Well, I am going to derail you a little bit and ask, what does all this have to do with Angular? Okay. Well, it, it doesn't uh, on, on paper because Microsoft you know, doesn't want to talk about it enough, which I think they should. So one of the promises with .NET MAUI is opening up the funnel so more people feel welcome because uh, it's a small community that did native Xamarin development that was cross-platform. But when they want to bring over uh, folks to .NET MAUI, they want to welcome a few more types of developers, in particular web developers, right? And for anybody who is doing web stuff on .NET, we have always had something called ASP.NET, which is mostly a server-side tech, right? And yes, you could do, you know, Ajaxified uh, calls to the server, but it's server-rendered. It doesn't scale as much. So a lot of, you know, .NET shops have, in the last, like, 10 years in particular, if you had to build a modern web app, you had to do JavaScript, right? So you kind of relegated .NET to be the backend, like that was that was your mm-hmm. API, and then you built front ends in JavaScript or you know, Angular or React or whatever. Um, so Microsoft does actually want to change that, and their answer is Blazor, which is uh, it's a wonderful Ooh, Blazor, technology. Blazor, all the things. So uh, if you want to learn more, we do have a .NET podcast, Adventures in .NET. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So the Blazor promise, it. yeah, the Blazor promise is very real, and that's actually production ready. So you get to write C sharp. And they compile things down to wherever you're running it. If you're running things on server side, then it's you know not much different from ASP.NET. You gain from a new, uh, maybe a rendering engine. But the real magic is running everything client side through WebAssembly. Uh, that's when you are mm-hmm. you know compiling C sharp and Rust and whatever higher level languages into native bits that your browser can run. So Blazor is absolutely here to make you know. Uh, spy applications for client side if you if you wanted to. So Microsoft actually wants to invite Blazor developers into .NET MAUI, which is inviting web developers to make native apps. So to that effect, uh, what they have done is uh, for folks who don't want to do native, don't want to write XAML, you don't have to. They're giving a little shell, kind of like Electron, but also very different. So they're calling it a Blazor Web View, which is essentially, it's an abstraction. So it's actually a fairly smart control. So when you plop in that Blazor Web View in your .NET MAUI app, it recognizes that you're trying to render a web view that is modern. And if you are running it on iOS or you know mm-hmm. Mac or Windows or Android, it will give you the corresponding web view. So it could be WebKit, could be you know Chromium Engine, could be whichever one that's you know catering to your platform. And then within that, it's just a modern web view. It's it's got nothing else. So the two things that are wildly different are there is no Node.js in in .NET Maui. And there is no Chromium. So it is literally a web view. And we are mm-hmm. trusting that the user is a modern user who has an evergreen browser and they can update their own browser, right? Mm-hmm. With that assumption in place, apps tend to be much more, you know, lighter size wise. And Microsoft wants people to do Blazor inside of .NET MAUI, which is, which is very welcome. And, and the benefit is Blazor and .NET MAUI essentially 
run on the same runtime, which is .NET 6. So the, the code sharing, the access to native things is just so much easier on Blazor. But the web view doesn't care. Like as long as you give it some web content, it is just happy to render. So you can take your Angular app, you can take your React app or any other type of JavaScript app, compile things down, minify it, bundle things up, and just shove it inside of the web view. It will render that all day long. Hey, folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, I mean, it seems like a lot of things these days are kind of pushing us more toward productivity, right? We install VS Code extensions. We do CI, CD. We kind of get this stuff off our plate, automate as much as we can, and move quickly. And one of the tools that I tell people to get is something like Raygun. Uh, Do you want to just explain real quick how Raygun can help with the productivity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's several fold. I like to think of Raygun as um, almost being like a full-time engineer on your team that's keeping an eye on things and is able to report the important faults or performance bottlenecks so that you aren't guessing. Um, and so that's one element. But then to that point where we store as all of the data we possibly can uh, on the context of the error or performance issue so that you know we integrate with source control systems, you can jump into our APM and get method-level timing details with the source code right beside it. So if you're looking at it going, why is this page so slow? You know, um, you can usually just eyeball the code right there and then. So speeding everything up, which I think is really important with, you know, our industry is under so much pressure right now. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we've got to try and get people being more efficient because we, we're not going to have a whole lot more people suddenly. Right. Absolutely. And I, I just I love that idea. I've done plenty of optimizations myself. Right. And having an APM tool that will actually say, yeah, uh, this is the slow code. Right. So instead of me trying to guess or look at it and go, oh, do I have an N plus one query here? Yeah. It just tells me where the problem is. And that's really powerful in something like Raygun or yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Iron Man. And, and you know, the, the, the idea is that I would love a virtual Jarvis that's just going, hey, there's this <laughs> thing. Do you want me to go fix this? Do you want me to solve yeah. that? It's like, that's, that's what we need to get to. Yep, absolutely. Well, if you want uh, the next best thing, go to raygun.com. Yeah, it's not Jarvis, but it, it will tell you where the problem is so you can go fix it. You can get a free trial right now if you want. It's raygun.com. It's actually not an uncommon approach for other systems, too. I mean... I've seen native iOS apps that it's like, we've already built this widget in React or Angular or something. And so they just, they drop the JavaScript in as part of their package and they render it as part of their app. And you wouldn't know because it's all seamless that that button or that thing or whatever is web view that calls back across the JavaScript bridge to the rest of the app. Exactly. So for an Angular app, you essentially do an ng build uh, with, with you know production configuration, mm-hmm. and then all of your dependencies for for Angular apps. You when you do an ng build with the production you know configuration, you are you know capturing all of your dependencies all in one spot, and then flattening things out as much as possible. And then you get a bundle of you know distribution uh, folder where all of your artifacts are. They're ready for deployment. So grab everything from your distribution folder and just like dump it inside of a .mavi app. They have a .root folder, which is essentially where your static assets are being served from. So you just put everything in there. And by default, they start out trying to render a Blazor app, but it's just the web view that you care. So you take away the Blazor stuff and you say, you just point your entire web stuff to the index.html of your Angular app. And then everything from there on is it's all Angular. So all of your routing, all of your data binding, everything is just there. 
for you. And again, that will be converted to WebAssembly internally or how it is? No. So there, there is no WebAssembly. When you're running it on .NET MAUI, there is no WebAssembly because you're running natively on you know iOS, Android, Windows, and Mac. So the assemblies they produce will have all of the .NET assemblies, and then the .NET stuff will be compiled down into native binaries for iOS or Android. Uh, Windows is easier because it's .NET anyways, mm-hmm. uh, and Mac, again, is through iOS. But all of the web stuff remains web stuff. Like that, those are literally, you know, files that you will ship in your app package because those are, you know, JavaScript or HTML files and nobody else can make sense of it except for that web view. When you fire up that web view and you point it to, you know, the root of your file or your, your, your app, it just knows how to render all of the web stuff. So the web stuff does not get touched or compiled in any way. Yeah. I don't have much idea about the web view, but, but is it uh, runs on the, Similar JavaScript engine like V8 or some Chakra or something? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, so the web view is actually catering to whichever platform that you're running it on. So if I take a .NET MAUI app and I render a web view, Blazor web view is what it's called, which I don't, I don't actually like the name Blazor web view because it's not tied to Blazor in any way. It's just a web view. So if I'm running it on Windows, I get Chromium, the engine, which is Fire Sub, which is what like Edge is using. Uh, if I'm running it on Mac, then I think I likely get what's called the WK web view, which is the Safari web view component. On Android, I get the V8 or the WebKit web view. And I forget what the one is for iOS. So the web view essentially is just a wrapper. It just talks to the OS and says, can you give me a web view component for any browser that you have installed? So, and that, that's what I would render. Yep. And then a lot of times what it'll do is it'll say, and here's the HTML or JavaScript that needs to run in it. Yeah. Or sometimes it'll actually say, here's the URL, right? And it'll render it off the web. Yeah, you you could you could absolutely do that. And in fact, like we are talking Angular here, but there there is a way in which like you actually don't even have to use .NET MAUI because think about you know how many folks maintain quote unquote legacy apps these days. These are you know old school Windows apps that you your enterprise depends on for you know years and years. And I I like saying like that's kind of like a rent control situation where. You are maintaining something, but residents are not essentially happy. They also can't go. So it's like a developers are not being quite happy. So one way of modernizing apps is through the web views. Uh, this web view component, you can actually embed that inside of a old school Windows desktop application and have the same benefits. The .NET MAUI part comes in is if you want to use some of these like newer APIs, if you want to be cross-platform. But if you just want, uh, let's say, uh, an older Windows Presentation Foundation, WPF app that's been running for 15 years now, and if you want to update that, then you make the runtime .NET 6 and you embed that web view inside of it. And then your Angular apps and your Blazor apps, they can all render inside of that little modern little island. Like uh, It's like a little kitchen, new kitchen you're giving somebody. So they're a little bit more happier. Developers are a little bit more happier. So it's a nice you know, play on modernizing your apps uh, overall. Yeah, pretty cool options. Yeah. The one thing, though, that I, I will say as, as a caveat, uh, and then this has to do with exactly that runtime. The reason why you know Microsoft wants you to write Blazor, uh, which is a web technology, on mobile and on desktop is because they have that runtime advantage. So Blazor runs on .NET 6, which is also the same runtime that .NET MAUI runs on. So when you are bringing in your Blazor web applications onto desktop, 
you can immediately access .NET APIs, right? You can go to the file system. You can go pull up the camera. You can do geolocation. All of those native APIs are immediately available to you. Now, can you do that from Angular? Yes, but it's not as pretty because you are now talking about two different stacks. There's, there's JavaScript and then there is .NET. So there is a JS interop bridge which exposes JavaScript objects to .NET and vice versa. So that's the bridge you have to cross and you have to do this before you actually build out your entire Angular app. Like before, you know, deployment, you have to have everything ready because you need to have .NET that's compiled and exposing its APIs and objects to JavaScript that your Angular app can call into. So if you have an Angular app that really wants to use the camera while it's running on desktop, then you have to talk to .NET. And it's not it's not the prettiest code, but it's not hard. I mean, it's it, uh, there is documentation that shows you how to do that. It's just a little bit of you know clunky code because you're 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 crossing the boundaries. You're trying to flatten things out into JSON and then just like punting things back uh, back and forth. So you said that this is a way of getting Angular on the desktop, and then you talked about the web views that effectively I've seen kind of sprinkled through apps, not actually running the entire app. Though I have seen that too. I have seen it where the app is effectively a giant web view, right? Mm-hmm. That has the yep. other stuff in it. Before you ask the question, like to, to that point, they, they, Microsoft is trying to, you know, really lure web developers. So mm-hmm. the couple of templates that you get, like file new project or, you know, command line templates that you get, one of them is called Mavi Blazor. When you uh, create a new app with that app template, you don't see any XAML whatsoever. The entire app is a web view. They're right. just literally pointing you to, you know, a directory where you can have all of your web assets and go from there. So yes, it is a native app and it's like the entire shell is, you know, native, but you don't have to render anything native if you don't want to. Right. So that, that's what I was going to ask was effectively that. So now back to, uh, how, how did you put it, Armin? If I, already have an Angular app that works on the web, What do I, how much work is it converted over to something like this? Not much at all. So you do a ng build, or if you're, if you're doing other JavaScript frameworks, uh, you know, for, for like React, you do like npm build. Yeah, so what you're trying to get to is give me the deployable assets, right? So once you're building up your Angular app, once you're ready to put on a server, you have to do a build, right? So which is mm-hmm. where it flattens things out, everything is minified, and you have you know deployable JavaScript and HTML and CSS. That's what you're looking at. And you copy all of those assets over inside of a .NET MAUI app, and you just put them in a .wrb root folder, and you point the web view to the index.html, and, and that's it. Like, or one simpler option will be like convert that to a PWA with file system API and what Arman asked can be achievable. Yes, you, you could, but like, I mean, there's, there's nothing stopping yeah. you. Like from your Angular app, you can use PWA approaches to, you know, get to the file system. But then you'll be getting to those things from JavaScript anyways. And mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's an interesting set of choices. Like you are running inside of a browser, right? So if you ask your browser for geolocation, it will give you geolocation. But it so happens here, the browser is also inside of a desktop app. So there are also .NET APIs, which will give you the same geolocation or a little bit more because PWAs, 
it's it's harder to get to some of the device specific APIs like uh, you know accelerometer or GPS or uh, camera. Those things are a little easier from a .NET API than they are from a JavaScript API. So while you could you know do the PWA route and bring in some of those APIs, if you really want like deep integration, you might be better off using the .NET APIs. Hmm. Yeah, I just told it will be the easiest one for Arman to put. Then, then he'll go ahead yeah. and code it for to .NET and all. Yeah, and the benefit is if you do lean on .NET to do it, uh, they actually have a thing called uh, Maui Essentials, which are wrapping up probably thirty six or so device specific APIs into a single NuGet package. So you just get it out of the box. And as long as your JavaScript can talk to .NET and, you know, use those APIs, then you have access to everything when your app is running on iOS or Android or, you know, desktop. So, yeah, early days, you know, .NET Maui is not officially out. It should be sometime, you know, this year. And while majority of, you know, .NET developers will likely do Blazor, the reality is uh, there's a huge number of .NET shops that do JavaScript, right? And mm-hmm. all of those folks should feel welcome and they should start seeing the promise. And yeah. so, in fact, like we are, we are talking to some you know customers, as is Microsoft, where they have huge Angular apps and they're looking at this as a way out of just being on the web and then, you know, catering to folks who need something on desktop because based on the industry that you're on, you might need, uh, you know, your folks to be out on the field with a little tablet or something like that, right? So having a native app that might be wrapping up web stuff, that kind of really helps because it's just one installation. You get it from the store and you do have offline support because you are running on, you know, native bits. So you're, you know, writing to file system is just a little bit more easier. And you have uh, the full plethora of, you know, native APIs that you want to call into. So I think it just opens up a new way for Angular apps to live and, you know, thrive on on desktop and on mobile. So I guess the other question that I have is, let's say that I have a web app and I'm thinking, you know, it'd be real nice to have a desktop app or maybe the next obvious thing to do for the business that I work for is the desktop app, right? It's not even a real nice, but it's a, we, we need to do this now. I mean, how do you start to approach this? You know, do you do you start building it out as a PWA and then try and make the transition? Or do you just pick Electron or Maui? And how do you choose between those? Yeah, it, uh, that's an interesting question. And I don't think there's like a silver bullet. It, it really depends on what type of code base are you happy maintaining? Because mm-hmm. if you go PWA or Electron, like there is no like, .NET, you, you're just right. your JavaScript play and you're just rendering it inside of a shell. While the moment you bring in .NET MAUI, then you do have iOS, Android, Windows, and Mac support, but it is a .NET app. And so it's being compiled and you know put out on the app stores. The benefit is you can actually have your Angular code live side by side with .NET code. And if you can envision a big project where I work on Angular, you work on MAUI, and then we are all like pushing and pulling from the same you know, code base. And we have, you know, CI, CD pipelines, build scripts that essentially take all of my Angular, flatten them out, and then the web view knows how to render it. Then you and me can work on the same thing. And it's a good long-term strategy because tomorrow, if your desktop app really wants to use a native API that PWA or Electron cannot expose, 
you will have a better time with Mavi because uh, they have like zero day support for any time iOS comes up with a new API or Android or Windows does something that is particular to Windows, you will always have those APIs. So if you're looking for, you know, deep integration and, you know, long-term strategy of being a truly native app uh, while running, running Angular on desktop or mobile, then I would pick .NET Mavi. And again, Dr. Mavi can get out of your way and just let you do all the web stuff. But again, I'm not saying PWR electronics are not options for you. Again, it all depends on you know how you want to run your app and what you want uh, to maintain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say this is more mobile, but I've done, like I said, React Native. And being able to call into native stuff across that JavaScript bridge is really, really convenient. And yeah. the the native integrations there, I find, are a little less clunky than what Electron does with Node. So, but that said, I mean, you know, Electron works great. You know, I mean, a lot of the things that I use, my Slack app, my, I think Zoom is also Electron. Mm -hmm. VS Code is Electron, you know. So, yeah, you know, it's it's not that that wouldn't work. It's just, yeah, it it really just depends on, again, and I'm not a .NET developer, so I'd probably be more inclined to Electron just because the learning curve is lower, right? And then... like you said, it is battle tested. It yeah. has been working well for like ten years now. Yeah, but if if I were working somewhere that had a serious investment in .NET and we were adopting Blazor for our stuff, and this looked like kind of a nice way to integrate some of the web work that we're already doing, I could see this as a really, really valuable way to go. Yeah, and again, it's just like a markedly different approach. Like you, you don't have Node.js, you don't have the Chromium uh, engine that you're shipping. It is a little bit more lightweight. But it's, you know, like you said, it's meant for .NET shops uh, who want to see cross-platform dev. Yep. All right. Well, Subrat, do you have anything else to add or anything? any other questions? Yeah, just a question. Like, suppose I just had a, a thing like in Electra, is there anything with suppose kind of service worker where you can grab the things in background and provide it to whenever it's required? Or you can use the service worker itself inside Electra? Yeah, you know, the, the Electron doesn't get in the way. You can use keep using the same service workers uh, that you are mm-hmm. uh, for web. Yeah, I think then, uh, yeah, with service actually it helps a lot to make the application faster. Uh, so that's right. Yes, and that also is an important consideration to kind of keep in mind. If you have a lot of investment where you have a ton of service workers written up, mm-hmm. I mean, those are JavaScript files, and then, yes, they will run fine on, on in .NET Maui, but some of that stuff might be extra baggage because like Maui gives you those things anyways. Since like if you wanted to do like a background uh, data refresh or if you wanted to do a push notification, my guess is it's it's going to be cleaner and more performant to do it through the .NET APIs mm-hmm. than to let the service worker do it for you in, mm-hmm. inside of a Maui app. As it already gives that support like push notification right, right. and all. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, you know, as developers, it's it's always nice to have choices, right? Until mm-hmm. we have too much of choice, and then we're crippled. <laughs> but I know, right? <laughs> yeah, on paper, yeah. it's it's good to have these choices. So every app is different. Every team is different. Uh, evaluate and and you know, do a proof of concept. See what works and what type of code base do you want to maintain going forward and make a decision. Yeah, just about the Sam, like how he explained about .NET right from the start to beginning. Like start to till now, it's like it, you. It, it sounds like you are in love with .NET. <laughs> no beats and everything about that. <laughs> I am also an old man. I have actually. <laughs> I, I remember when .NET first came out twenty years back. 
It's okay. You can make kissy faces to .NET on this show. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap up, do you want to tell people, you know, if they're listening to this and they're like, there, there was a question I wish I'd asked or they want to dive into this topic a little bit more with you. Most people hand out like a Twitter and GitHub or, you know, if you want people to email you or whatever, just how, how do people get a hold of you and connect with you online? Yeah, so um, pretty much everywhere on social, you know, the GitHubs, the Twitters, the Skypes, uh, I'm, I have the same handle. It's at uh, S-A-M-I-D-I-P. So you look that up and you will eventually land on my Twitter or my you know, web page or GitHub. And, and that's how you can reach out to me. I'm, you know, pretty active on Twitter. And I also, you know, live stream. If you're on Twitch, uh, then uh, actually uh, my whole team does on uh, on a handle called Code It Live. So you can come and see me struggle through code, you know, several times a week uh, on, on, on Twitch. But, uh, you know, that's that's how to find me. Good deal. Is there a story behind your Twitter handle? I'm just curious. No, that's actually my full uh, first name, which uh, is, okay. it's a long name. Yeah. And I, I am not uh, terribly, you know, tied to it. I, I still use it. But, you know, for all purposes, it's, it's Sam is how everyone calls me. I gotcha. Is that a name from a particular nationality or something your folks? Yeah, yeah. So I no, no. I am uh, I'm Indian born. So I am I went to college in India and uh, I've uh, you know lived in the U.S. for the last you know twenty two years. Good deal. So no, that's where uh, that's where I am from, and you know uh, that's the name my parents chose, which uh, is kind of a unique name even mm-hmm. in India. So I've never been married to a long name, so I'm I'm fine being you know there's the there's the whole like you know the cultural phenomena where mm-hmm. we actually call this uh, like in inclusion diversity we call it like hiding where we try to you know westernize everything that we do while that is you know sometimes not okay here i'm actually very okay just being sam because uh, that's how i have you know been so in the last you know 20 plus years so my you know my social handles continue to be at samidip so that's how folks can reach out to me very cool well we'll take you you're smart <laughs> uh, yeah i think, yeah, I, I think- sam deep Yes, yeah, some yeah. yeah, I think sometimes we overemphasize some of that stuff. Yeah, just, yeah. instead of just yeah, being I mean, people, and but it's yeah. it's important to people too, you know, where, what your background yeah. is and things like that. So I don't want to minimize it, but I don't want to blow it out of proportion either. So exactly. anyway, let's go ahead and do picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Now, I don't know if we explained what picks were ahead of time, so I'm just going to do it right now. So picks are just shout outs about stuff we're liking, stuff we're enjoying. I'll make Subrat go first and show us how it's done. Uh, yeah, so uh, this week picks will be like uh, a episode from a series in the Netflix is connected. The series name is connected and the episode is digits. So that's blew my mind like how everything is connected with the theorem and 
how people how actually the in in the lab they find that there is some malfunction in the images how how which page people read more in in a book that's also uh, comes from a theorem and that blows my mind so just go ahead and watch that one digits the is a pretty pretty good one nice all right i'm going to jump in with a couple of picks now i usually do a board game pick man what have i been playing lately i haven't played anything lately cuz life has been crazy <laughs> I guess I'll go with uh, Seven Wonders. I don't know if you guys have played this one. It's funny because most of the games I play, if you're paying attention, you can usually tell who's ahead. Seven Wonders, I never have any idea until the very end of the game. But effectively, what you wind up doing is you wind up building wonders, but you also build armies and buildings and, you know, into your city. And they all give you different abilities and things in your uh, collecting resources to build more. And then the different sets that you get, give you points. The size of your army at the end of each round gives you points. What you've built or not built as far as your wonders go give you points. And so, yeah, at the end of the game, you wind up tallying it all up. And I, I've i won it. I've lost it. I've won it by a lot. I've lost it by a lot. I, I just, I never know if I'm winning until it's over. And then I'm like, oh, I won. <laughs> you know, so, but, but it's definitely a fun game. It's a thinker game for sure. It's a little more on the complicated side, but definitely enjoying that. Another one that I'm going to pick, and it, it's interesting, you know, just talking about some of the uh, nationality background kind of stuff. This is something that I picked on JavaScript Jabber a couple of days ago. And it's something that my kids have been playing the soundtrack from for a while. It's Encanto. Uh, it's the new mm-hmm. Disney movie. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Without spoiling too much, I assume most people, especially if kids, you, you've probably seen it. But they've got all these people who are kind of magically gifted in it, right? They're all part of the same family. And it's... I'm not going to spoil the whole movie for you, but effectively, as the movie goes on, you figure out that all of these people have these expectations placed upon them based on what they do, right? And the song that you're probably going to hear most is We Don't Talk About Bruno. But if you if you go and think about the movie, them not talking about Bruno and not talking about their issues and not understanding each other is what causes the whole problem. And effectively... What allows them to fix it is when they start to see each other as people. And I, with all the stuff going on these days, I think that's a message we can all take to heart, right? Is that it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what part you play in the grander scheme of society. It doesn't matter how you vote. You're still a human being. And I think a lot of the turmoil that we're seeing between groups of people boiled down to us just not seeing each other as, as human. And then being able to recognize, oh, yeah, we put a lot of pressure on you for this, and we shouldn't. I mean, I think there's definitely some other stuff that goes on. You know, some of our politicians, they just care about maintaining power and, you know, get becoming wealthy and things like that. But not all of them. And they're still human, too. And if we can understand what's driving them, then we can also begin to address some of that. Now, I think some of addressing some of that might be voting them out. But... For others, recognizing where they're coming from and what's going on allows us to work with them to get what ultimately what we all need from our society. So anyway, I just encourage you, if you have neighbors or people you encounter at work or at church or wherever that have a different background from you, go sit down and talk to them. If you know they voted for that other guy, you know, the guy that you just can't stand that when you see him on TV, go talk to him and get to know him, right? Because... I've heard Trump supporters demonize Biden supporters and vice versa. And at the end of the day, 
I think in a lot of cases, we just want to be able to raise our families and kind of achieve some dreams and, and, and get where we want to get. Right. And then, you know, some of the larger social issues, I mean, we don't really have a whole lot of control over them until we vote again in November. Right. Because those guys are just going to do what they're going to do. Right. And so then we go and try and vet them and figure out if we want, want them to be there again. But in the meantime, I mean, there's no reason why I can't be a friend of somebody who has something that's different from me. And and by talking to them and understanding them, it doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with them when we're done. But at least I can see the humanity and what they're doing and why they make the choices they make. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox. I, I want to let people know dev ch- or not dev chat. I almost said devchat.tv and we haven't done devchat.tv for a while. Uh, topenddevs.com is the new devchat.tv. I have big plans. I'm putting stuff up for the workshops, uh, topendevs.com slash workshops. We're going to start meetups next month, probably do JavaScript, Ruby, Angular, and React, and possibly DevOps. If you uh, if you work for a company that wants to sponsor something like that, that'd be awesome. We're going to do those live as well, and then have the recordings behind the paywall, just like the workshops. And then I'm also looking at putting on summits later this year. So if you're you know somewhere where it's hard to get out or you're concerned about being around people because of the pandemic. I mean, I just want to help people learn. And so we're, we're going to get top at top notch people. We're going to do the conferences. You can find all that at topendevs.com slash conferences as I get those set up. And then my last pick, the system that I'm using for all of these meetups and stuff is called air meat. That's air, like the air you breathe meet.com. And anyway, I, I'm really digging it. It has some social features that allow you to like set up networking tables and stuff like that, you know, booth for the sponsors and stuff like that for the conferences and things. So I'm really looking forward to using it. I have a friend that's done a couple of these with it. I've put on about 20 or so remote conferences over the last six, seven years. So anyway, I've rambled enough, but uh, go check out everything we're putting together at topendevs.com. Sam, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, sure. Well, first, let me start out saying like I, I how much I agree with everything that you said and what happened to our ability to, you know, treat humans as, as humans. And I think food and alcohol can be great bridges. You know? Oh, I food. Can, I can completely disagree with you, but we can have a drink together and, and that solves a lot of problems. But anyways, yeah, uh, something that, you know, as, as we, you know, age, something I've been conscious about is maybe we are raising the, the, the gates of entry to any technology because like any, any, you know, ecosystem, any software game that you're in, like technologies will come and go. What, mm-hmm. what uh, you know, what stays is are the people that you work with. And for a lot of experienced folks, we don't sometimes tend to uh, see that we are we have kind of made uh, these gates that are high for, you know, somebody coming in new uh, out of college or, uh, you know, somebody who has uh, been in JavaScript world now wants to come into .NET or the other way around. So I, I'm making a conscious attempt to, you know, simplify things so folks can understand a lot of the things that we deal with. You know, every technology stack essentially deals with the same number of problems, same set of problems. So it's always good to share design, accessibility. These are big things for us. Uh, anytime I find stuff, I, I, I try to, uh, you know, read up because we, we are not, we're missing out, you know, reaching out to a big part of our audiences if you're not paying attention to, you know, design and accessibility and these things. So, yeah, that's me on the tech front. And uh, since you two mentioned uh, movies, uh, somehow uh, we as a family or my wife and I have missed out watching Jack Ryan when it was out. Uh, so this is uh, this is actually on Amazon um, mm-hmm. where it's a very, you know, real world uh, covert operations and deals with the tensions between the West and the East. So, mm-hmm. 
we are on a you know spree to watch all the episodes and we're loving it yeah i i enjoyed it myself i watched the first season i haven't watched any of the rest of it i will point out that my wife quit watching it after two episodes because she doesn't like certain language certain words and it was a little bit violent for my kids yeah but it's it's definitely my speed so (laughs) anyway i'll second that one well thanks for coming sam this was a lot of fun it was fun thanks for having me thank you sam all right till next time folks max out bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more